This is a podcast asking the very best in the world how to stay resilient. I'm Michael Bungay-Stanier, and we will get through this. So, of course, in times of stress and strain, one of the areas that often gets stressed and strained even more is money. Not just the actual money we have, the money that's coming in and the money that's going out and our savings and our kind of long-term, am I financially viable? But in times of stress, just the whole concept of money and the role it plays and the role it plays in our relationships, I think, gets put under pressure. So when I'm thinking to myself, all right, who do I need to talk to about money? Who would be a great source of wisdom and calmness and guidance in this time? I thought I should go and talk to the person I talk to all the time. So I'm going to introduce you to my financial advisor, who I think is brilliant. I've been with her about 10 years now, and my wife and I, my son and I love her and love the work she does for us, not just how she manages our money, but how she calms us down. So let me introduce you to Rona Birnbaum. Rona is the founder of Caring for Clients, which the name says a lot right away, a Canadian fee-for-service financial planning firm. Wealth Professional Magazine has named Caring for Clients the top independent firm in Canada in 2017. So hooray! I remember seeing her getting that award. It was fantastic. And Rona has been named one of the top 50 advisors in Canada for five years running, an award well-deserved. Rona was recently named a Women of Influence in Financial Services. She has been a guest financial columnist for the Medical Post and Money Saver magazine. And honestly, she's always in the media because people come to her as a sage person around money. So Rona, so nice to have you here. Thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to share what I can with your community. Sure. And, you know, I appreciate it because if there's ever a time a financial advisor is probably getting phone calls and emails from people, it's probably a time when the market is uh, heading downwards rather than upwards. So you're kind to, to give us some of your time to share your expertise. Um, Rona, you know, money is just this complicated issue. <laughs> I don't know anybody really who doesn't have some form of baggage around money. Um, I mean, present company accepted, obviously. I'm flawless. But other people, other people for sure, for (laughs) sure have baggage around money. I'm just wondering, you know, you see a lot of people, you talk to a lot of people. What is it about money that is such a hard topic for most people? Um, Well, it's either a hard topic to talk about or it's a hard topic to make decisions around. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and it varies by individual. Mm. Um, But broadly speaking, as it relates to money, there's either not enough uh, or there is so much and there's fear around losing it. And those would be the two main extremes. (laughs) I love that. You're like, not enough, not enough, not enough. Too much, too much, too much. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And and both of those things have their own set of problems. I mean, the the people that are facing the not enough scenario couldn't really care less about the problems that, you know, those wealthier are feeling right now. And and I can understand that frustration. But, you know, there are 
this is a big issue that everybody is facing. And and the other hard thing about money is that um, you you don't make financial decisions in isolation usually. Mm. Uh, you're making them in the context of your life, which involves other people. That could be your partner, that could be your children, your employees, uh, right. your, your the company. And so you, you're never able to actually make a decision that doesn't have some kind of ripple effect on other people. Right. And therefore, you're subject to the, the influences and priorities, fears and concerns and views of those other people. And so it takes a, quite a bit of resilience to quiet your mind uh, and, and make decisions that resonate with you and make sense to you. When somebody knocks on your door and says, Rony, can I work with you? And you do that kind of initial, so who are you and, you know, how, how do you think about money and what sort of money do you have? What sort of questions do you ask people that um, kind of help people open up around money? Does that make sense as a question? It's a, it's oh, it really does. Yeah. It really does. And so the answer to, you know, what, which people we want to work with. Mm. They're people that have bigger questions than how can I get a better return on my investments? Right. Uh, they're people that are looking to answer the bigger questions in their lives, which is, you know, how to, how do I use money and make financial decisions to either solve my biggest problems uh, or create the life that I want with certainty you know, and confidence. Mm -hmm. And so those are the, the bigger answers that we are most equipped to answer right. uh, because we're, we're comfortable going there um, because money is, you know, most financial decisions are emotionally based. They're not pragmatic or, or logic based decisions. And so somehow uh, as an advisor, what, what I see one of our roles as being is to help people recognize uh, what they're feeling and what they're thinking and how sometimes those uh, feelings and attitudes and, and baggage get in the way of making really what will be the best decision for them. So we are most interested in working with people that are open to having that kind of right. conversation and willing to, you know, reconsider the way they've approached things in the past. So now, of course, the markets are dropping. There's all sorts of talk. I mean, I think we are, I don't know enough about this. <laughs> I'm not a good enough student of Eurona, but we're like, I think we're officially in a bear market because it's dropped a certain amount of percentage in a certain amount of time. And, um, and you know, there's, there's prophecy of doom about. There's also people who go, this too will pass because it, it always passes. Um, where do you start with calming people down? How do you help soothe the lizard brain amygdala that is going panic, panic, panic? Mm -hmm. Well, we ask what they're most concerned about. Everybody's That's a panicking. great question. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it, because it's different for everyone. For, for someone, it might be, um, you know, they're afraid of losing their job or maybe they have lost their job and they're afraid of, afraid of how they're going to get by. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what's happening in the stock market is frankly irrelevant to that person who's yeah. just looking to pay the bills and get by from one month to a net to the next. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's really getting to the heart of what the immediate concern is. And when I say 
I mean immediate concern because uh, the concern that someone has today, if addressed, becomes a very different concern the next day. Right. And so sometimes it, it's not helpful to focus on the long term, quite honestly, mm-hmm. uh, when it's really short term uh, fixes, band-aids, decisions, uh, positions someone to actually even have the luxury of planning for the long term. Right. Uh, so really, it's the question about what is your biggest concern, fear now, uh, and then dealing directly with those. You know, I, I, I was thinking back to I mean, one of the things that your firm has done is you've gone, right, we need to up our communication. So it's no longer a, a weekly blog, a monthly blog post. It's a re- We get a regular email from you, not just little pockets of light because you have this really lovely kind of here's some cool things that are happening in terms of a response to this but also financial advice as well and one of the pieces of guidance you gave was and and i'll do my best to summarize what you said which is like look our our general advice and a generic level is this is when you hold on to your investments you don't sell um but if you are going to sell, let us help you sell it now and fast because the market's probably going to drop further. So um, what I liked about that was not just a play for the long term, but also uh, but we recognize the short term as well. So in that advice, behind that was that very question you're asking, which is, so what's the real challenge here now for you? What do we need to solve for now? And that might be a long, medium or, or a short term solution. Exactly. And I think that, you know, I think our our industry is in the habit of shaming people for, uh, you know, reacting to their short term needs for for security. Uh, And there's no shame in doing something that makes you feel safer in the moment, providing that you're making that decision, uh, understanding the potential long term ramifications of that. Mm. Uh, And, and, and that's a choice that everybody has the right to make. So, for example, if somebody wants to reduce their equity positions now, uh, all that means is it's going to limit their future returns on that part of their portfolio. Right. And that may or may not be a mistake. Uh, because we're planners, we're able to actually look and see, well, if the future returns for this client are lower than what we had originally assumed, uh, simply because they're de-risking now and uh, will likely stay more conservative long-term. Let's see if they can afford to do that. Uh, and if they can, that's their choice. Mm-hmm. It's, they don't need to be wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. I mean, I think people are reconsidering what their priorities actually are, and they're getting back in touch with what's really important to them. Right. And, dying, you know, and dying with $4 million <laughs> when you're 95, all of a sudden doesn't seem nearly as important <laughs> as it did a month ago. Right. You know, what's more important is, are my kids getting by? Can I help them? Them. Yeah. Um, you know, what are the basic things that I need? Because really, all I care about is surviving this thing, having my loved ones survive this thing, and uh, recognizing when we come out of this, 
a world that I can feel good about and continue to participate and grow in. And, right. and, and so sometimes taking less risk is completely acceptable in that situation. <clears throat> and I would also say the only thing I get scared about, which is what I said in that letter that I'm, I'm glad it resonated with you, is the reason why I want people to sell um, if they want to, or at least sell some, is sure, I, I think it'll go lower. But what uh, it's not a problem that it goes lower. It's a problem if it goes lower and then the client sells. Exactly. Right? So we're just trying to prevent that worst case scenario. You know, if, if, if investors are going to be in, in needing to make their money grow for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, they're going to have an opportunity to invest in equities again. Yeah. Sure, if they stay invested or if they add to their investments at the bottom of the market, they're going to get a better return than the mm -hmm. person who doesn't do that. Okay. Yeah. But that's okay. They can still be okay. Uh, and so what's most important is that the overall financial security of, of our clients is intact, not necessarily that they die with the most amount of money. <laughs> That's a, a, a great way of putting what is a pretty pyrrhic victory. Yes, I'm dead <laughs> with a lot of money. <laughs> okay, that, that's not quite the, the triumph I thought it might be. Exactly. Um, how else, what else do you do to guide people during a time like this, Rona? I mean, part of it is around what, what, what's, the, what's the thing you're worried about, most worried about now? How else do you provide sage comfort and compassion and guidance? Well, there's, I think, two ways that I try to do that. One of them, and I think this is the go-to for many people in my field, one of them is, is to provide them with insights and education uh, that will help them understand the, uh, market, the investment marketplace, both stocks and bonds and investments and all of that. Uh, because, you know, I think a lot of people really don't understand how it all works mm. and how securities get priced on a daily basis. And I know this because, you know, from time to time when I meet with a new client and we're talking about investment strategy, uh, as respectfully as I possibly can, I ask them, can you describe what a stock is? Can you describe what a bond is? And the majority of people actually can't. Uh, what they do say is that stocks have higher risk, higher return. Bonds have lower risk, lower return. But they don't know what they are uh, as, as structures. And therefore, it's very hard mm. for them to understand when they behave in ways uh, that are scary. So yeah. uh, I work on helping people understand how, what the mechanics are of the things that they are investing in. And doing that, in a very reader-friendly way. Uh, the <laughs> right. industry loves jargon. They love to sound technical. And I, my you know, cynical mind says that the objective in doing so is to frame themselves as uh, more knowledgeable. This is too difficult for you to understand. And so you need to delegate all control to, to me right. and all, you know, pat pat them on the head and I'll take care of you. Uh, and that's no way to build confidence or support good decision making. So clear, understandable communication about the actual facts that matter are what I focus on. That's number one. The, the second one is uh, something that we do with all of our clients at all times. And that is consider a variety of scenarios because no one knows the future. 
uh, now uh, in advance. And so in our planning work, what we like to do is let's look at uh, best case, worst case, most probable case. And right. let's have a plan for all three of those possibilities. Uh, we, we move forward on the most probable case, but if reality right. starts to shift into the worst case, we've already got a plan for that. And, and, and if it goes into best case, we have a plan for that too. I think this is really powerful. I mean, both of these insights, one is, um, you know, actually <laughs> have some basic understanding of some of the key mechanisms and tools and devices that you're potentially investing in. Um, and I'm quite glad you're not putting me on the spot to define bonds and stocks because I blather out something that would be probably wrong. <laughs> I like you um, too much for that, Michael. <laughs> thank you. Well, actually, why don't, cause I, want, I want to pick up on the second piece around the three different levels of planning, but can you just give me a quick definition of what bonds and stocks are? And then I can just say that that's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. I like to actually start with not what they are, but how they're created and why okay. they're created. And uh, they are created out of a need for money. So when a corporation wants to uh, do business and grow and let's say hire more staff and buy more mm -hmm. equipment, they will need to borrow money to do that. And they have two choices. They can actually um, issue shares in their company, which is to say, okay, we're going to let you give us money. And in exchange for that money, we're going to give you a proportionate ownership in our company. And if we do well, you will share in the future profits of our company. Uh, and uh, if you're lucky and if we're very successful, we might pay you a little bit of uh, profits along the way while you wait right. for our future success. And that is a stock. Mm -hmm. And so you own a piece of a company when you own a stock. Now, sometimes a company does not want to share any more of its company with other people. You know, right. the, you can picture it. I'm hoarding. I'm hoarding the value. I don't want to share the future <laughs> success. So, okay, if we don't want to share with with other people, uh, we'll borrow money because um, right. if somebody lends us money, we're not obligated to share our future success with them. All we need to do is pay them a little bit of interest along the way and right. promise to give their money back. Uh, after a set period of time. That's a bond. Yep. So the bondholder uh, is essentially getting the interest and then the return of ca that capital down the road. So, um, so from the investor standpoint, a stock is you know, buying a piece of a company that has the potential to grow in value uh, and a bond is buying something that will give you an income stream. That's right. what they are. Perfect. You know what? I would have got close to that answer. <laughs> I'm I sure. <laughs> yeah. And even if I hadn't, you'd have nodded in your lovely way and gone, "Good. That's almost right, Michael. Good try." <laughs> there's one thing I. There's one thing I'd like to add about stocks. Yeah. And that is, if it's an ownership stake in a company, how on earth is a price determined for it at any point in time, uh, especially right now? Yeah. Uh, so if I could just quickly explain how professional investors sure. uh, uh, come up with their own determination of value, it, it works like this. Uh, and you as a business owner and any business owners that are listening to this, hopefully will be able to re relate to this. So. Um, the the value of a of a company today is a an an estimate of the future profits over the next say 20 or 30 years mm. 
So every year, a great company will generate profits and it will continue to grow. And those annual profits, if you look at the next 20 years of that profit stream, that income stream, cash flow is what we call it, and you, you do a present value calculation of that, what's that future income stream worth today adjusted for inflation, then you get what would be considered fair value for that company. Uh, now, the, the, the problem right now is that there is a lack of visibility around what the future profits will be. Right. Uh, and so um, that's partly why stock prices uh, decline quickly uh, in the absence of insight into of the future. Certainty, yeah. However, what a professional investor will do is we're only interested in owning the greatest companies and the ones that will be the obvious survivors after this mm. because there will be some that don't survive. So for the obvious survivors, if we go back to our 20-year cash flow model, and let's just say we, we eliminate any cash flow for 2020 and 2021. Uh, we just say it's going to be a disaster couple of years. So we take those years out. Right. And then we adjust the next 18 years to reflect uh, the demand, the expected demand scenario coming out of this, which would likely be very much lower sales and demand for some companies and higher for, for others. others. Yeah. And that gives them um, another uh, an adjusted fair value. And in addition, I might just add that these obvious survivors, in my view, will, will be operating in a much... Um, easier, if you want to put it that way, uh, business environment, because there will be fewer competitors. Right. Uh, the, the, the competitors that remain will be weakened. Uh, and then the cost structure of those successful companies will be, I think, much more favorable. For example, there will be far less wage pressure. I mean, mm -hmm. people, the employees will be happy to have a job. They right. won't necessarily be expecting big bonuses or big raises for the next little kind while. Of, They'll just be happy to be there. This uh, is when, when people talk about kind of the underlying fundamentals, which is like beyond all the swirl of the emotion and the crisis in the moment, you're like fundamentally they're sound and actually the strong will get stronger. Um, potentially as well. So that's the way you're now calculating the, the worth of this company. That's right. And when the stock price in the marketplace, because that's a, that's a voting machine, not a weighing machine, if the stock price falls significantly below that adjusted fair value, there's your buying opportunity. And frankly, nice. it doesn't matter if it goes a little bit lower before it you know, makes its long-term trajectory. Right. Um, but that's how you evaluate whether value, you know, value has emerged. I love it. That's really helpful. The planning piece, I love that, which is like effectively, most likely optimistic, pessimistic. Um, how do you help people imagine those three different scenarios? I think it's such a powerful skill, this scenario planning. I mean, it's used in organizations all the time to go, we want to... We, we're trying to get beyond our own biases to go, this is the way the future will unfold. And by creating different options, you're forcing yourself to think differently about how things might turn out beyond the, this is just my natural inclination about how it all works. Is there a process to help people you know, step into full optimism, step into full pessimism, and then trying to figure out the, a middle ground? Sure. I think it's better to be done uh, in a guided fashion as, as opposed to on your own because uh, individually we're not 
naturally equipped to challenge our own beliefs. Yeah, we're a disaster. It's a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> we're hopeless. So, so the, the approach that I take is to, again, it's all about asking questions, which, which is to say, okay, what could go wrong? Uh, so I would say clients are really good at coming up with a long list of what could go wrong. Uh, so they generally don't need a lot of help from us there. Um, where we help is to uh, identify where the, um, the, the extreme irrational uh, thinking has created mm. uh, you know, Armageddon scenarios that are probably a little outrageous. Right. So we can, we can cull that list to something that what would be considered um, realistic things that could go wrong. Right. And we, we, we write them down. And then, we, then I ask, well, what could possibly go right? This is also what, this is where we end up having to contribute more. Mm, um, because when people are feeling concerned, they have a hard time imagining a better future. Right. Uh, and so that, it's our job to actually make suggestions as to how that future could be better. I love that. Uh, and, I, I, and I, I want to interrupt you because I just want people to hear this. Because what Ron is speaking to is is a, a fundamental bias that I think will show up in all of us in these tough times, which is when you're in the dark valley, you set, you tend to be only see the dark valley around you, and it's hard to imagine being out of the valley and seeing the sunrise, and just having the discipline to go, let's imagine the good even during this dark time requires help and requires you to get out of your own way and out of your own biases. Yeah, it does. And, and sometimes when people are struggling, uh, seeing how they could personally uh, have a, be in a better situation five or 10 years from now, uh, you know, I'll often ask, I'll say, well, you know, are you the same person as you were 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Think back to when you were right. 10 years younger. And are you wiser? Have you learned more? Um, do you have more resources now? And when people realize how much better equipped they are than they were 10 or 20 years ago, they and therefore will be even better equipped 10 years from right. now, they start to think about uh, possibilities you know, where, where they were having difficulty before. And so it's so interesting about how hard it is to imagine a future that's anything kind of more than plus or minus three percent of who you are and where you are and how you are right now so i'm like you know as soon as you say that i i go in in my body right now i feel like i've been the same for the last 25 years but then if i tell you my history i'm like i'm a completely different person it's, everything has changed in the last 20 years for me um, yeah, and I yeah. think people really underestimate their ability to adapt and uh, recover from challenges and from trauma. Uh, mm -hmm. And but sometimes they have to actually go through it and look at the evidence of their own life experience to to really believe it. This is wonderful. I'm, it reminds me of a quote I heard of: um, "People underestimate what they can do in a day." Are they overestimate what they can do in a day and underestimate what they can achieve in a year? Undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I do suggest that people actually look to their history, whether it's a short history because it, it's a young person or, um, you know, a long history. Uh, look to your history for evidence of your own resilience. Uh, and, you know, I, I always, I frequently go back to 
a very challenging time for me when my my husband was dying and mm-hmm. it was a five year you know, kind of painful process. And as it would get worse and worse over time, uh, you know, clients uh, who knew my husband very well, cause we worked together, um, they would ask me, Rona, how are you doing? And my response would be, I'm doing just fine. Thank you. I'm doing okay. And they'd say, well, wow, how are you holding up under the circumstances? And my response every single time was, well, it's going to be harder probably tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So if I crumble now, how on earth am I going to be able to cope when it really gets hard? And, and, and I said, when it, it, the hardest is going to be the day that he's not here. Right. right? So there's, there's, it's always going to be harder. So, um, and, and getting through that, of course, uh, gives me confidence that I can face uh, challenges uh, in a similarly pragmatic and graceful way. And, and if you haven't been to that kind of hardship, and, and people have been through way worse than that, mm-hmm. um, start journaling your experience now because you will look back on this time as a period of challenge, fear, hardship, and uncertainty. Uh, and the only way to actually understand who you are, how you've behaved, and what you learn from the process is by writing down on a daily basis what happened, how did you respond, why did you respond from the, why did you respond that way? Yeah. Uh, and then you create a history for yourself that you can learn from. I love it. I, before we before we go, I'd love you to share any advice you might have around things not to do. I mean, this whole idea of journaling, this whole idea of looking back and going, look how far I've come. This idea, particularly of planning and going, let me imagine. Um, things going off the rails and going badly. Let me imagine things going well. Let me find uh, what's most likely and seeing those three scenarios, they're all really useful tactics to walk away with. But I'm curious to know if there's like, how do you, what would you tell people and don't do this? (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Don't, um, don't expose yourself to um, content and media that is mass hysteria. So, Mm -hmm. um, eliminate, and it's a do, not a don't, but I can't kind of separate <laughs> the yeah. two, but yeah. eliminate the, the, the kind of the sensationalism in your, in your sphere. Uh, so don't get sucked into uh, a, uh, a, a, an experience of negativism. Right. right? Look for the positive people and um, um, as, assets and resources in, in your life. Don't be alone. It's a funny thing to say now because we're all being forced to isolate in some form or fashion, but we're also lucky enough to be at a time in, in history where we can do what we're doing now, Michael, yeah. uh, and communicate and see each other and talk to each other. Uh, and so uh, it's important not to be alone in one's thoughts. And, and, and the cool thing is, I think, that by reaching out to others, you're also helping them. Uh, so I think connection and dialogue uh, is extremely important. Uh, so don't isolate yourself. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I would also say don't ignore your own personal needs. Michael, you were the first one to reach out to me when I posted on Twitter that all I'd eaten all day was a half bag of Doritos. <laughs> and you, you messaged me and said, Rona, don't forget to take care of yourself. Right. You, know, you, you can't care for us if you're, if you're not well yourself. And, and so you know, I took that to heart 
right and away. You, you ate the other packet, the other half packet of Doritos. Absolutely, <laughs> without delay. So, um, uh, so, so the self care piece, whatever that looks like, is really, really important. It can be as simple as, uh, you know, don't ignore your needs for brushing your teeth. Yeah. Having a shower, you can, it's amazing how much better you can feel after you do those very basic things uh, to prove that you do have control over some aspect of your life. This has been wonderful, and I do appreciate you stepping away from helping your other your your client base navigate this tough time to talking to me and talking to the people listening in about this. For the people who want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Our website is www.caringforclients.com. Uh, and I would encourage anybody that goes there to subscribe to our blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have general you know, education content there, but we're also publishing a good news of the day. Uh, which is great. That, yeah, with our, which our clients and, and others have really appreciated. Yep. Uh, and they can find me. I'm most active uh, on Twitter, and my handle is at caring4clients. The four is the number four in that case. Nice. In the, in the website, it's spelled out F-O-R. And I, I love to have uh, communication there on Twitter. Those are the uh, best two. I'd say one of the things that I love about Rona, you already get why I love Rona just from this conversation, but structurally, uh, Rona's firm is a fee-for-service firm. And what that means is you are getting the best advice, not an advice that is in some ways helpful to the other person who might be buying or selling stuff for you. So one of the things I, one of the, one of the many reasons I deeply trust Rona is I know that she provides advice that is best for me regardless. And that's what you see on her blog and, and how she tweets out as well. So Rona, thank you. You are awesome. I'm so glad you were on this call with me. Thank you for the opportunity, Michael. Hey, it's Michael here. Two things before you go. The first is a gift. The second is a request. The gift, I want you to go to mbs.works and hunt down the year of living brilliantly. Really, it's some of my best work because it is a 52-week, 52-teacher, absolutely free video-based course where I spend a lot of time curating some of the smartest people I know and saying, teach me the best of what you've got. If you're looking to really step up to have a year that's just a little bit sweeter, a little bit better than the year you've just had, that is a terrific resource. So please go and check that out. Absolutely free, no obligation, nothing required other than for you to sign up and get going on it. And then for the request, I just want what every podcast host wants, which is a little bit of love. So if you'd consider going to iTunes or Spotify or whatever your favorite podcast platform is and giving the podcast a bit of a rating and a bit of a review that would be amazing thank you